You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. To Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Excited to have everybody in the same room today. Um, so thankful for, again, echoing what Adam said, all the hard work that went into making this possible after uh, only three weeks. And so just grateful for God's provision. Looking forward to how he continues to bless our church um, as we move forward. Um, as you're turning to Exodus chapter 12, want to uh, encourage the, the men in our church about an opportunity to serve uh, going forward with our new setup. So um, those of you that don't have nursery kids maybe aren't aware that our nursery has been relocated from this side to now over into the fourth unit, which God just opened up right at the right time as we were looking to do all of these renovations. Um, that place became vacant, and our landlord reached out to ask if we wanted to use it. And so great setup for us now. It feels like a legit nursery over there, so we're really thankful for the security that provides. Um, we don't have access to that building currently through this setup, and so um, our nursery workers are in the back of the building, and there's kind of a vacancy up front uh, where people could come and go. And so we want a security presence there throughout our service um, that can allow uh, moms and dads to come and go if they need to, to retrieve kids during the service if something were to come up. We've also got a great setup for nursing moms over there too. And so we want that added security presence. So we're going to be asking our men who are not currently on the nursery list to uh, be willing to serve um, uh, in that space, uh, hopefully on a, on a pretty lengthy rotation. We'd love to have two to three months where we've got that thing staffed and you're not having to be over there regularly. Um, but we think it would be a great way for our men to serve and to just be a presence there to kind of keep an eye on the parking lot throughout the service, to see anybody else that may be walking the, the sidewalks and whatnot, just to be kind of aware of what's happening behind us. And so uh, Jason Flowers, one of our deacons here, is going to be overseeing that uh, scheduling process. So he's going to be reaching out this week, but wanted to kind of pitch that to you up front today. Um, that we'd love our male members to consider being a part of that team to serve and to help provide some additional security to our kids who are just next door uh, in the other room. All right, Um, Exodus chapter 12 is where we're at today, and I want us to see uh, both today and next week through the the lens of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. Um, As we look towards today uh, being a, a Palm Sunday type of celebration uh, in Holy Week, and then Friday being considered Good Friday, the day that we typically remember the, the crucifixion of Jesus leading into Easter Sunday next week, where we celebrate the resurrection specifically, although as Tyson mentioned already today, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday, which is why we meet on Sundays. Um, I want to see today through the lens of the crucifixion of Christ, the, the death and the blood that he spread and shared for us so that we could be saved It's pictured here in Exodus through that Passover night. And so we've been kind of building up to the actual 10th plague over the last couple of weeks where preparations have been made for the Passover, instructions about what's going to come. Today we actually see it carried out where uh, the Lord comes through the midst of Egypt and begins to take firstborn after firstborn uh, and blood is shed. But we've talked about how even in the house of Hebrews, there was death that night, right? It was the perfect lamb that was sacrificed on the behalf of the people in that, in that homestead uh, that were able to, to be spared because the Lord passed over because that blood was spread on the doorpost. 
Um, and so we've correlated that already in previous sermons with Christ's blood being spread on the cross and shed for us. It allows God's wrath to pass over us too so that we can be saved. So we're going to see that through, um, we're going to see today's passage through that lens as we dive into it. Last week we were looking at the preparations for Passover, but then also the instructions about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We talked about how God provides festivals for us to celebrate because it helps us to remember, and God wanted his people to remember the events that occurred here at the Passover, at the Exodus, uh, God's deliverance. He wanted this to be something that was passed on generation after generation after generation. Um, You think about the fact that that's what's occurred for Easter, right? Like we pass that celebration on generation after generation. We're raising our kids up and teaching them about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And so um, we saw how the unleavened festival was a picture of them taking sin out of their life. Um, They were to clean out that leaven. They were to clean out their houses. It was to, to have no presence in their house and then... Uh, That correlates with what we see in the New Testament, how leaven is pictured as a type of sin in our life, and we too as believers through our sanctification are to see that removed as well. And so I challenged you last week uh, as a point of application, we want to celebrate um, the things that God gives us to celebrate and to do it in such a way where we're teaching our kids. And so I challenged you as we lead up to Easter, how are you going to teach your kids? How are you going to teach others the truths of the resurrection in a way where they remember it moving forward as well. And then we talked about how Israel was called to assemble. They were called to assemble at the beginning of the unleavened bread feast, and then at the end, and the picture being uh, accountability. They were going to be held accountable to following through with the instructions of God. And we talked about how assembling ourselves is so important as New Testament believers. Assembling in large formats like we do today, but even assembling in smaller formats where we can Uh, encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good works, and we can protect each other from being hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. And so we talked about how that's a needed thing in all of our lives. Whether that happens in our C groups and D groups or not, it needs to be happening in your life in some format. We try to provide that structure for you so that you can jump in and be a part of it. It's scheduled for you, and we've got people set aside to meet during those times. It doesn't work for everybody's schedule, and we understand that. Um, my encouragement and admonition to you would be to find other times to do that with other believers, uh, to have that assembling time where you're being spurred on, but you're also having someone who kind of helps protect you from being hardened to the deceitfulness of sin as well. Today we look at Exodus chapter 12, and we are going to start reading in verse 29, a short passage for us today to draw our attention to what's coming next week with the Exodus. It says at midnight, in verse 29, at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord, serve Yahweh, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Our summary sentence for today, God has clearly warned us of his coming justice and given us clear instructions for how to prepare, making it possible for us to wait confidently through the night as we wait for his certain victory in the morning. God has clearly warned us of his coming justice and given us clear instructions for how to prepare, making it possible for us to wait confidently through the night 
as we wait for his certain victory in the morning. For our kids, God is coming to judge, but we can escape his judgment by trusting Jesus. Imagine as this night unfolds, Israel knows what's supposed to happen. Whether they fully believe it to happen or not, uh, they've certainly made preparations as though they do. And so you've got the people uh, killing the lamb, and that process started days before, right? And so they've got the blood spread on the doors, and the kids are gathered around, and they're eating this meal in anticipation that we're supposed to be leaving soon, right? Like, that's why we're not going to use the leaven. We're not going to use the yeast in our bread because we've got to be ready to go in a moment's notice. And so as the sun sets and as the night starts to, to string along, they begin to wonder in anticipation, will the Lord come? Will death come upon our house or will we be spared? Um, And it would have been a great reminder to them as they sat. And maybe they begin to process and wonder what is going to happen. Maybe mom or dad continues to direct the kids' eyes to the doorpost. Right? Like this is where our trust is right now. Our trust is in the blood of another. Not our own. Not our own good works. Not our own morality. Our trust is in something else. It's in the, the substitutionary atonement of what God has given to us and provided for us. The Egyptians go to bed like any other night, right? Like they, they go to sleep probably uh, maybe, maybe late. Maybe they're up uh, partying, uh, drinking, they're merry. They're uh, what the New Testament describes, people who were just oblivious to the coming day and are people of the night. It would have been like any other night for them. Maybe they had caught word that Moses had made another threat to Pharaoh uh, maybe some of them were cringing in, in fear because they knew that the, the God of the Hebrews had delivered time and time again. Um, but we know that the Egyptians go to bed uh, and they wake up in the middle of the night crying out to gods who aren't there to listen. I, I was thinking in preparation for today how different Christianity is from other religions because so many other religions are built on what individuals do in that religion, right? Like you, you look at any other religion and those, those systems are founded upon what human beings are supposed to do in that religion, I put in my notes, different from other religions, Christianity is just as much, if not more, about knowing and resting in what God does as it is about what we do, right? Christianity is just as much, if not more, about what God does and resting in what God does. Certainly, we are called to be certain types of people. We are certainly called to do certain things for him, but Christianity is, is just as much about the idea that God does for us and we rest in what he does for us. And so what we see here is a picture of all these promises that God has made coming to fruition. Remember back in chapter 3, verse 8, God promised to rescue his people. Now, he had already made that promise in Genesis, but he reiterates that promise in, Genesis chapter, or in Exodus 3, 8, that he has come to deliver, to rescue his people. He tells us in chapter 3, verse 20, it's going to take a lot of working of his wonders to do it. And we've seen that, right? Like we've seen plague after plague after plague worked in order to deliver his people. He tells us in chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, and chapter 7, verse 5, that it's going to be done in such a way where everybody knows him by the end of it. That that everybody comes to know who he is. The people of Israel who who have only heard of him orally. They've they've had traditions passed down. They they know what maybe he did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but maybe they haven't seen him actively ever do anything for them. God says, I want my people to know me by the end of this. And he says, I want the Egyptians to know me at the end of this too. We saw at the beginning how Pharaoh says, I don't know who your God is. I'm not familiar with the name that you just used. I'm not familiar with what you're talking about. We see here at the end of this chapter, he says, 
go and serve Yahweh. Like he has come to know this God of Israel. God has revealed himself in such a way where Pharaoh is fully knowledgeable now of who the God of the Hebrews is. God also promised to expedite their release in chapter 6, verse 1. That Pharaoh was going to end up driving them out, begging them to go, rushing them away. We see that at the end of this section too. That Pharaoh in the middle of the night awakes and calls upon Moses and Aaron and says, get out. Get everybody and go. He's ready to be done with the punishment and the judgment that's come upon him. This chapter, or this section of this chapter, really highlights the justice of God. The justice of God is put on display for us. It's a, a justice that we long for ourselves, right? Like, if we're all honest, we've, we've experienced things in this life. We've seen other people experience things even this week where our hearts cry out for justice, right? We want God's justice to be served. When people do wrong things, we want it to be righted, right? We want intervention to happen. What's, what's peculiar about those feelings, though, is that we want to be spared from the same justice, right? Like, we don't want the justice applied to us. We certainly want it to apply to those who, who we see being mistreated. But when we're the guilty party of doing the mistreatment, we, we want to be spared from it, right? And this, this passage gives us the justice of God. We're going to see God's justice applied to the Egyptians. We're going to see God's justice passed over for the people of Israel. There's a popular country song out right now about a, a girl who, who has an oppressor in her life, and she wants to be freed from that. Uh, and another individual, a male, steps in and takes care of it for her and, and frees her from that. And she's like, man, I didn't know that justice was going to come into my life at this moment. And then the rest of the song plays out where where the guy has brought justice and he's crying and praying and saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Like, I don't want justice served to me. That's the picture that we have in our own life. We want justice served towards others. When we see mistreatments and wrongs happening in the lives of others, we want justice served. We don't want it applied to us, right? Like, we feel like we should be spared We see both aspects here in this passage where God's justice is applied appropriately, it's applied rightly, and even when it's spared, when the people are spared, it's done rightly too. It's done appropriately as well, and we're going to see that today. First in your notes, number one, know that God's justice is forewarned. God's justice is forewarned. This isn't something that comes as a surprise to the Egyptians. It certainly doesn't come as a surprise to Pharaoh God's justice and its coming justice is forewarned. In the middle of the night, God's day of reckoning comes when it's least expected, and yet all the signs have been pointing to this, right? Like the Egyptians are most likely asleep when the death angel or the Lord comes through and begins to bring this justice, um, and yet all the signs have been pointing to this. You think back about the, the plagues that have unfolded. The battle has only increased in severity. God's punishment has been inconvenient, to painful, and now death ensues. One commentator said it's become clear that a fight to the death was going to unfold, that this was not going to be resolved until death happened, and that's certainly what it takes for Pharaoh's heart to be open enough to let the people go. But we remember that Pharaoh and Egypt have been warned about this prior to this judgment coming. Way back in Exodus chapter 4, God told Moses up front, you tell Pharaoh this will happen if he does not respond. Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. 
Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. His justice is forewarned. You go all the way to uh, chapter 11 now, right before the events that we're seeing in today's passage, he was warned once again. Verse 4, so Moses said, thus says the Lord about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. He's forewarned about this. He's told that this judgment, this day of justice is coming. And he's responsible for it. All of Egypt's responsible for it. And a night of silence, a typical night where they would be asleep, moves to a night of suffering where firstborns start dying, both human and animal. It's a picture of God's forewarned justice. He, he prepped the people. He told them it was coming. The implication for us is don't dismiss God's previous judgments and thus dismiss the future warnings of God as well. Be warned and be ready. And I would encourage all of us to think about the uh, warnings and the judgments of God given to us in Scripture that point to something greater, right? Like you think back to uh, the book of Genesis uh, where we, we have the flood, Right? And God's flood comes upon the earth and it, and it wipes out the people because of their great wickedness. And in the New Testament, we see in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 13, Peter uses the flood and says, hey, people doubted God's judgment in the past and then God brought judgment. And the enemy wants us to forget previous judgments. He wants us to ignore previous judgments because if we think about previous judgments like the flood, uh, like Sodom and Gomorrah, who Jesus references in the New Testament, right? He uses that judgment of God, that little uh, day of judgment, that little day of the Lord where God brought wrath and justice upon a people to point us to the future judgment that's to come. We don't want to ignore these. We don't want to miss these. Revelation chapter 16 even talks about uh, a day in the future where uh, similar plagues will start to happen that point us to that great day of justice and judgment where, where death will occur, right? And God's justice will be served. Um, had the chance to um, go to um, the Creation Museum and the Ark this week uh, with our seventh graders at Trinity. And one of the signs in the ark, so you walk through the ark, all the levels, really cool to see how uh, scientifically and rationally um, Noah could have fit all these animals on the ark and how it could have worked. And uh, there's teaching tools throughout the experience. And um, one of the signs that stood out to me the past two years that we've been there um, just screams the attention that needs to be given to the past, right? It's a picture of Satan uh, as a serpent. It says, if I can convince you that the flood was not real, then I can convince you that heaven and hell are not real too, right? The idea that if, if skeptics and scoffers who the New Testament warns us about can decrease our attention on the past judgments of God, right? Like if I can make you think that 
Noah and his ark is a big fairy tale and that scientifically that never could have happened, then it, it opens your mind to dismiss future judgments too, right? Like if, if that's not real, then probably the other things that I read aren't real as well. This judgment, this judgment is meant to, to remind us that future judgment is coming. This day of the Lord where, where God comes through Egypt and takes the firstborn, it's meant to point us to a day where God's coming again. He'll be coming in the night and there'll be victory in the morning. Right? The enemy thought he achieved victory in the night when Christ was crucified. Right? And for three days he's in the grave and it's not until that, that Sunday morning, that Easter morning where he comes victoriously ruling and reigning out of the grave giving us hope of our own resurrection. We want to see the past judgments of God as verification that his future judgment is coming. We want to be warned and we want to be ready. Number two, know that God's justice is certain. Know that God's justice is certain. It's promised and it's coming for sure. He will not change his mind. He will not alter his plans. He will not fail to deliver. As I was thinking about, you know, God had warned the Egyptians, and then when the day of reckoning comes, that time of justice comes, he follows through with it. He does what he said. I don't know as a parent if you've ever threatened your kids with punishment, and then when it came time to do the punishment, you're like, I just, I really don't want to do that. You know, like I feel bad for them, like uh, maybe there's a different way we can do this. Like I said, I was going to take this away, or I was going to do this, and, and now I just, I just don't want to do that. Right? Like, we've probably all been guilty of, of kind of stepping back and saying, I'm not going to do that. Like, I told you I was going to do that, and I'm not. And it's not because of anything good that your child has done to fix the situation. It's just like this sympathy sets in, and you're like, I'm not going to do what I said I was going to do. We can take comfort as believers who long for justice that God will do what he said he's going to do. He is going to put an end to evil. He is going to bring judgment and justice and wrath where it's appropriate. And we don't have to wonder, will the day of, of judgment come and God say, you know what, not going to do it. Like, changed my mind, that doesn't seem right anymore. Like, I was hoping that my threats would get people right, and they didn't. But I'm not going to do the judgment piece. No, God carries through with what he says he's going to do. He doesn't change his mind out of sympathy last minute. I put in my notes, the only changes in Scripture that change God's justice from coming is a change within the guilty party. The only change in Scripture that changes God's justice from coming is a change within the guilty party. God doesn't change. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, we see Jonah goes to Nineveh. Nineveh, who God has, has said that he is going to bring judgment upon, right? And then he spares them of that judgment. Why? Because they repent. They turn to him as they were commanded to do. And Jonah says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah says, I know the type of God you are. You will relent. You will uh, keep people from your wrath if they repent. He's a gracious, merciful, slow to anger God who only shifts his wrath from guilty with repentance. We can take hope in that today. The implication being that God's certain justice ought to motivate us to action and encourage us in our waiting because God keeps his word. It motivates us to action, right? We know God's justice is coming, and so I need, to, I need to be right with him. I need to pursue right relationship with him. Once I'm right with him, I can take comfort and hope as I wait 
for God to bring justice to situations where I feel like I've been mistreated, I've been wronged, or other people in my life have been mistreated and wronged. I can trust that God's justice will come in those situations. I can wait for him. Because the Bible says when Jesus comes, everything's going to be brought to light. There will be no explaining needed. Everything will be brought to light and everything will be dealt with appropriately. We can know that God's justice is certain. Just as he had promised, he begins to enter into Egypt. And he brings his wrath. He brings his justice. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock. Number three, know that God's justice is non-discriminatory. It's non-discriminatory. What do we mean? We mean that all types of people are impacted here in Egypt. The text clearly tells us that the the royal family is impacted. The the people who are in the palace are impacted. The firstborn of Pharaoh is taken that night. The one who was next in line to be Pharaoh, the prince of Egypt, is taken as part of God's justice. But that wrath and justice extends all the way down into the, the basement, to the dungeon, where the firstborn of the captive is also taken, and all the firstborn of the livestock. All types of people are being impacted here. The prince, the prisoner, the pauper, they're all taken. God is no respecter of persons when it comes to his justice. There's no special treatments. There's no exemptions being given here. It's a warning to all of us who sit here who maybe, and I have no doubt there are people here that haven't put their faith and trust in Christ yet. We got kids that are present who who maybe haven't made that decision yet. God's non-discriminatory in his justice. There's no exceptions given. He brings his justice to the appropriate situations. The implication for us is that God's wrath is not escaped by typical status symbols like riches and morality. Can't buy your way out of God's justice. Can't work your way out of God's justice. Those are the things that we typically think of in our culture that gets us out of bad situations, right? Most people can get out of bad situations uh, because of their riches or maybe because of their morality, maybe their, their character can, can excuse them from uh, certain mistakes. But when it comes to God's justice, those two things aren't accounted for, right? Like if I'm a defense attorney, I maybe try to get my client off because of his character, right? Like, yes, he did this, but look at all this other track record of stuff that he's done. Like that ought to minimize his sentence, right? Like that ought to excuse him in some ways. Or because our justice system is corrupt, I've got enough money that I can throw my way to the judge to get my client off as well. Right? Like I, can buy, I can buy an excuse for him. Those are the two things that we typically lean on in our culture to get excused out of situations. Can I buy my way out of this? Can I talk my way out of this? Can my character get me out of this? Those two things don't work with God's justice. They don't work here. It's the, it's the house of Pharaoh that's impacted. It's the dungeon that's impacted. God's wrath can't be escaped by those typical status symbols. It's a warning to us. Number four, know that God's justice is thorough. It's thorough. It was forewarned, and it's certain. It's non-discriminatory, and it's thorough. The firstborn of Pharaoh, the firstborn of the captive, firstborn of the livestock. 
Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt. Why? For there was not a house where someone was not dead. It's thorough because every house is visited, every family is impacted, God's mission is being carried out. There's death in every house. Pharaoh is awakened to a judgment where the opportunity to avoid it has passed. Man, if, if, if the Lord tarries until, uh, or if the Lord's return uh, lasts and, and delays as long as we're alive, there'll come a day where people on this earth will awake to it, and the time for repentance will have passed. Right? Like there, there is no way for Pharaoh to now say, I believe, or hey, I, I will do what you tell me to do. Give me back my son. There, there's, no, there's no bargaining here at this point. He awakes, and the opportunity to respond and to be obedient has passed. The cries of his people are great, and they go out to silence. There's no comfort for them. The, the final attack here, remember we talked about how God was going to judge the gods of Egypt. The final attack on the gods here is found in their silence. When they're needed most, they're not available for the people. They can provide no comfort. It's thorough. Every house is impacted. Every family is impacted. The implication is that while you may go unnoticed here at times, the day of judgment will not be avoided by even the least individual. While you may go unnoticed here at times, the day of judgment will not be avoided by even the least individual. We won't be able to escape it. You might can escape things here. You won't be able to escape things then. All right? uh, my family and the McLeod family we went to Six Flags yesterday. And we have, we have season passes, and uh, apparently this year with season passes, when you go to Six Flags, every day you go, you get like one fast pass that you get to use. You get to pick which ride you want to skip the line for. So we were talking and kind of scheming, like, what are we going to do? When are we going to use this? When is it most advantageous for us? And so we, we decided to skip the line for uh, one of the rides yesterday because everybody wanted to ride it, and so we were going to skip it. And so we get to the fast pass line, and we're getting ready to get on. We're supposed to scan our QR code, and that removes our fast pass for the day, right? Um, except the guy doesn't have anything to scan it with. And we get into the boat, and me and Jen are like, we didn't have to use our fast pass right here, right? And so we went on our app, we canceled it, and it was like, hey, you have fast passes again. And it was like, hey, we can just, we can just keep skipping lines apparently, right? Like they're not checking, they don't care. And we can just go through the line and skip lines because there's nobody scanning the QR code. And um, I had a similar situation in college where me and Rob, who works at Snowbird, we had uh, meal money. So we had our, our meals in the cafeteria, but we had grown weary of that for four years. And they opened this new place on campus where you had meal money that you could use, but you had a limited amount, right? And so we went in and ordered quesadilla and fries, and we go to scan it. And, and there was a really sweet girl there who said, um, hey, uh, just so you guys know, the system doesn't work, right? Like you're scanning but our system is down and we don't know that it'll ever be fixed. We keep asking you guys to scan so that you think that it's deducting money, but like it's not reading anything. And me and Rob were like, oh boy, like, I mean, we can't track this. We have no idea. And so we just, for days, we just went in there and ordered and just ate and bring our friends along. Hey, you should come eat with us. And, and then we went in one day and they said, hey, the system's fixed. And we're like, okay, great, we'll adjust it. And we can backtrack all of the scans. And we were like, oh, no. And so we went to scan, and they're like, you don't have any more money. And it was like January, and like we were supposed to last until May. And like our day of reckoning came, our day of justice came, where 
we thought we were kind of flying under the radar. We thought we were being excused and we thought we were sneaking by and then boom, like justice happened and we had to pay. We had to pay up and we did. And we lost a lot of money on that day and we were surprised by it, right? Like when God returns and Jesus comes back and justice is served, like we're not, we're not going to fly under the radar anymore. You may think that you're flying under the radar right now. Maybe you don't feel God's pressure. Maybe you don't feel God's judgment. Maybe you don't feel God calling you to repentance today. But there's coming a day where flying under the radar will go away. And, and, and the day of reckoning will come where we do have to stand before him. And these judgments in the past and the Old Testament, they point us to the certainty of this day coming. It'll be thorough. Number five, know that God's justice is equitable. It's equitable, meaning that it's right, it's fair. It's equal. Think about what God brings upon the Egyptians here. They had claimed children from Israel at the beginning of the book, right? Like they're, to, they're, they're killing babies. They're throwing babies into the Nile to the crocodiles. And now God comes claiming their babies in response. It's a fair response. It's an equitable response. But God makes distinctions in how he treats his people, right? We see the Egyptians being judged in the night, but we see Israel, God's people, being spared. God's distinction and his judgment is always made on the account of what man has done with his word. The Egyptians have their firstborn taken, but Israel is spared by the blood on the doorposts, which points to another, the substitutionary atonement. We talked about how this helps to lay that, that foundational understanding by us. That for us to be excused for our sins, for us to be forgiven of our sins, it takes, us, it takes another, it takes someone else to die on our behalf. We can't, we, can't, we can't buy our way out of it. We can't, we can't work our way out of it. Someone else has to die in our place if we're to be spared. And God's justice is equitable because the Lamb's blood stands in the gap for, for His people. Now, the lamb's blood of the Old Testament, it only delays the wrath, right? It doesn't fully quench it. It's not till the perfect lamb comes that his wrath can really be satisfied. I turn your attention to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 tells the story, or it tells the historical account of why animal sacrifices are put to an end. Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Right? It's the blood of Christ that satisfies God's wrath. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who, is, who has faith in Jesus. Right? All the Old Testament animals were meant to delay God's wrath. Right? It was so that he could pass over former sins because God in his, in his foreknowledge and his providence and his sovereignty knew, hey, there's coming a day where, where the ultimate sacrifice will be provided. So, all through the Old Testament, he's delaying his wrath. He's building that wrath up that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Moses should have received. And they're offering sacrifices in place of their sins and God's delaying his punishment and judgment. He's delaying it until Christ comes. And then when Christ comes, all those former sins and all the future sins, it's applied to Christ 
on behalf of His people so that when, when His justice comes, that blood stands in place of us. We look to that blood instead of our own good works, instead of our own riches, to be saved. The implication is that to be spared from God's justice, we must look to something outside ourselves, to the very thing He requires and provides, the perfect sacrificial blood of another. Remember, God says in verse 13 of this same chapter that when He passes through, He will see that blood, the blood of the Lamb, and He will spare His people from the death they deserved. Put in my notes, our confidence lies in our ability to look outside ourselves. Right? Our culture says to look in yourself to find confidence, to look in yourself at what you're capable of. The Bible says our confidence lies in our ability to look outside ourselves, outside our own good performances to His instead. We can have confident assurance, just as that family would have sat there, that Hebrew family would have sat there, and maybe they start to hear the cries coming from Egypt. And they're wondering, like, is this going to hit me? Is this going to impact me? And, and mom and dad continue to say, look to that blood. We've been assured that the blood of another will spare us tonight. As we go throughout this week and look towards anticipation of Easter, and may we all point ourselves to the blood that's on the cross. It's that blood that stands in the gap for us. It's that blood that spares us from the wrath we deserve. Lastly, number six, know that God's justice is victorious. Know that God's justice is victorious. Back to our text in Exodus chapter 12. We've seen that it was forewarned, this judgment, this justice that's to come. It's forewarned, it's certain. God brings it, he promised it, and he delivers. At midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborns. He does it in a way where he's non-discriminatory. non-discriminatory. It's, the, it's the, Pharaoh, the prince of Pharaoh who dies. It's the, it's the firstborn of the captive in the dungeon who dies as well. It's thorough. Every house is impacted. Every Egyptian is crying out that night. Verse 31, Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people. We're not told this, but, but I got to think that, that Pharaoh felt like he could call upon Moses and Aaron because he knew they weren't grieving at the time. Think about it. If there's no blood... If there's no provision by the lamb, Aaron should be dead. Aaron's the firstborn in that family. Moses should be grieving the loss of his brother. But notice what Pharaoh does. He says, bring me Moses and bring me Aaron. Bring me Aaron because I know he's alive. Bring me Moses. I know he ain't grieving for anybody tonight because his kid's still alive. Right? The justice of God is victorious because it brings and accomplishes what God set out to do from the very beginning. We are going to see the people of Israel released. He says, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have said. The death of the firstborn becomes the final blow needed to achieve Israel's release. Pharaoh will now command Israel to up, leave, and go. Pharaoh is now begging for Moses to do what Moses has been asking to do all along. Think about that. Moses, time and time again, let us do this, let us do this. No, 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 no. Now he brings him and says, you have to do this. I'm commanding you to do this. Your men, your women, your children, your flocks, all of them go. And none of them need to come back. The very things that they were asking for, they're now commanded to do. Pharaoh releases Israel to leave with no qualifications, no concessions being made. God ultimately gets what he wants. The man who said he would never give in is now doing precisely what he said he would never do. 
Go and serve Yahweh. Think about what's, what's so uh, implied in that, in that statement. Go and serve the Lord. What's he been saying? You're not going anywhere. You serve me, and I don't know who Yahweh is. Now all of that's been flipped. He says, you go, you serve somebody else, you specifically serve Yahweh. He's relinquished the Israelites from serving him. He now acknowledges the God he didn't know before. Pharaoh ultimately surrenders the very thing God asked him for at the beginning. But think about how much more it cost Pharaoh in the end. He's an example to us. We can resist and refuse God, but in the end he will get what he wants anyways because we can't resist God's will. Think about that. In the end, we're told that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess when Jesus comes back. And there may be the the most dug-in, rebellious, stubborn individual who says, that ain't today. I'm not confessing him today, and I'm not bowing to him today. I don't want to give up what that would cost me. Right? Like, to follow Christ costs us everything. Like, it means us giving up everything that, that we want to live for in our sinful rebellion, and we now follow him. We're going to see that the Egyptians firstborn were claimed. But right after this, the, the Hebrew firstborn are dedicated to him. Right? Like, they, they give their firstborn to God. They don't have to kill them, but they, they give them in, like, full service to him. And following Christ costs us everything. And it will cost us everything, right, when he comes back if we don't submit to him. We'll still bow. We'll still confess. And the price tag at the end is far greater than what we give up today. Far greater than what we give up today. Notice how he cries out for blessing. Tells them to go. Tells them to serve. Take your flocks, your herds, as you've said. Be gone and bless me also. Awfully presumptuous to think that there's blessing in store for Pharaoh at this point, right? He's like the rich man and Lazarus who we looked at not too long ago in that parable where, where he's crying out, hey, tell Lazarus to bring me something to quench my thirst. The same guy who would refuse to serve Lazarus year after year after year as he sat outside his gates, right? There is no relief on this day. Cries out for blessing as Israel departs, but it's too little, too late. He missed his opportunity. It's a big victory for God. God is protecting his immediate people right now, but he's also protecting his ultimate people. He's protecting us. We've talked about how Exodus is our story. Because God delivers this people, because he saves this people, he preserves the promise of Genesis 3.15 that Jesus is going to come from the line of Abraham. He's protected his people so that Christ can come, which means a ton for us because this is our salvation. God is saving us by saving Israel at this point. The implication for us here, in the end, every knee bows, every tongue confesses. The question isn't if, but when, and the price tag on surrender only rises. It just gets greater. We need to surrender to him now. We need to confess him now. We need to turn to him now. He's died in our place if we choose to accept it. He's died in our place if we turn to him. If we we count his blood as our own, God's justice will pass over us. Our application for today, how is the coming judgment of God impacting your life on a daily basis? Are you looking to the right things? Are you finding your confidence outside of yourself and in the person of Christ, his perfect life, his sacrificial death? Are you waiting for his thorough response? Are you waiting for him to bring justice to situations where you feel like it's lacking right now? 
Are you waiting on him? He's promised to do it. His, his justice is certain. Are you waiting for him to bring it? His blood is how we're spared today. I want to read to you in closing Revelation chapter 7. picture of the end. John sees this vision and says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. He said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are born, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Who is it that gets to enjoy this setting? Who is it that gets to enjoy this paradise? Who is it that gets to enjoy this eternal life? It's those who've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. There'll be those on that day who stand in their own robes and say, hey, this is costly enough to get me in, right? Like my riches, my riches are what I'm counting on. There'll be others who say, hey, this, this is good enough. Like my morality, my morality will, will, will get me in. Only those who celebrate with Jesus are those who've washed their robes. In the blood of the Lamb. Let us remember these previous judgments. Let it point us to the coming judgment. Let us look to the judgment that, that God brought upon his son Jesus on the cross, the, the ultimate judgment that points us to that greater judgment. Right? We know he's not going to back out on what he's promised to come because he 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 killed his son on our behalf so that we could be spared. Right? His son gave up his life so that we could be set free. We'll look at what it means to be set free next week with the Exodus. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that you chose to sacrifice Christ, that, that you chose to give up yourself so that we could be saved. Lord, we realize today that we can't buy our way out of our sin. We can't work our way out of our sin. And Lord, we recognize that justice is coming, that a day of reckoning is coming. And Lord, we're thankful that you've given us what we need to prepare for that. That we don't, have to, we don't have to go about the night worried and restless, wondering if and when we might be spared. No, you've sent Jesus who lived a perfect life, who shed his blood on our behalf, and spread it on the cross so that we can look to that today and say, I can be saved, not because of me, but because of you. Lord, we thank you and praise you for that sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for these previous judgments in the past that reinforce what we've been told that you are coming to judge again and lord our our um, our desires for justice we know will be satisfied when you come back and lord help us to wait patiently for that when we see wrongs around us and we desire for those to be righted lord help us to know we can rest in you lord help us to see the difference in christianity that while we're called to much much of what we're called to is to trust the things that you're doing Lord, we wait for your justice to come. We wait confidently knowing that it'll pass over us if we've washed our robes in your blood. Lord, for those here today who maybe haven't done that yet, Lord, convict them. Bring them to a point of awareness and understanding of their sin, their desperate need for you. For those of us that have washed our robes, Lord, help us to serve you faithfully as the, the picture in the future shows serving in your temple, 
Lord, help us to, to be released from our sins, but help us to hear the, the, the commands of Pharaoh even as we leave, that we're to go and serve Yahweh. Lord, help us to make sure we're doing that faithfully too. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.